This Word on Fire Minute is brought to you by Advantage Futures. As Catholics, we must take advantage of new technology to spread the faith. Wordonfire.org is on the front lines, featuring the work of one of the church's best messengers, Father Robert Barron. At wordonfire.org, you'll find inspirational podcasts, videos, audio sermons, books, DVDs, and the Catholicism Project. It is one of the most ambitious efforts ever to promote the Catholic faith to the world. Catholicism is Father Barron's global documentary series, filmed in high definition and now in production for TV and DVD. Father Barron's series will illustrate the beauty and depth of the church and explain the Catholic faith on our own terms. It will be an exciting new way for families, parishes, and schools to teach Catholicism. Preview the production, join our email list, and contribute to the Catholicism Project at wordonfire.org. Become part of the story today. This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us, so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our gospel for today has to do with Jesus' healing of a leper. And the gospel is coupled with a passage from the book of Leviticus, dealing with the whole issue of leprosy. Now, from the time I was a kid... Passages like this one have been interpreted really along these lines. There aren't many lepers around today, but there are a lot of people that we treat as lepers, people who are social outcasts and pariahs. Jesus is welcoming and inclusive toward the leper, and so we should be welcoming and inclusive toward the lepers, symbolically speaking, in our society. Now, I've got nothing particularly against that way of reading the passage, But, you know, I've heard that homily so many times, and I suspect you have too. I'm also pretty sure that this is not what a first century Jew would have been thinking about as he read this account in the Gospels or meditated on the book of Leviticus. What did it mean? What did it mean for someone in that time? Well, you know, leprosy frightened people in ancient times as contagious and mysterious diseases frighten people up until the modern period. But more than this, more than this, it rendered somebody unclean, ritually unclean, and therefore incapable of engaging in the act of worship. It is not accidental, by the way, that the person who would do the examining of the patient in ancient Israel would be a priest. So you go back to the book of Leviticus, go back to this chapter 13 of Leviticus, you see these elaborate instructions given to how the priest ought to examine someone to determine whether he or she had leprosy. Well, why the priest? Well, he was the person who was monitoring the whole process of Israelite worship, very much including the question of who could or couldn't participate in the temple worship. 
So that's the focus, it seems to me, of this whole question of leprosy. Now, flash forward to Jesus' time. We've seen, and I've pointed out many times, that one of the principal tasks of the Messiah of Israel was to gather the scattered tribes. To call together as one all those who have been scattered by exile, by warfare, by sin, by their own rebellion against God. The Messiah would call Israel together because only a gathered Israel could fulfill its mission of in turn gathering the tribes of the world to what? The true worship of God. Now there's that scene I've commented upon many times. Mount Zion, on the top of which was the temple. Mount Zion acts as a kind of magnet to all the nations. When the rightly ordered priestly people Israel would worship God there, then they, by the very purity of their worship, would in turn gather the tribes of the world so that the whole human family would worship God aright. Now with this in mind, we consider the second great task of the Messiah, and that was to cleanse the temple, to make Jerusalem again a place of rightly ordered praise. And we've seen, therefore, when Jesus comes into the holy city at the climax of his life, he does precisely that. He interrupts the false worship of the temple, and he seeks to establish right praise. Now, in light of these two tasks of the Messiah, it's very instructive to revisit many of the healings of Jesus. Think of that woman in Mark's Gospel with the hemorrhage who'd been sick for many, many years, had gone to doctor after doctor but only got worse. She finally reaches out and she touches the tassel of Jesus' cloak and she's cured. Well, see, she's complaining not simply of a physical malady. The hemorrhage rendered her ritually unclean and hence unable to worship. Or think of the woman who was bent over for many years and Jesus allows her to stand up straight. Well, see, standing up straight was the attitude of worship. Bent over, she was unable to give God proper praise. Think of the man described in Mark's Gospel with the withered hand. The same problem. Someone who was so physically deformed was ritually unclean. And so the same is true of the leper from today's Gospel. Everyone knew the restrictions laid out in the book of Leviticus. They knew that this leper was incapable of worshiping. And so, as this man kneels before Jesus and begs for a cure, he is not simply concerned about his medical condition. He was an Israelite in exile from the temple. And hence, listen now, hence he was a very apt symbol of the general condition of scattered, exiled, wandering Israel. In curing him, Jesus was, symbolically speaking, gathering the tribes 
and bringing them back to the worship of the true God. He was not just the marginalized in a generic sense. He was Israel incapable of right worship. And that's why Jesus says to the man after he cures him, Go, show yourself to the priest. In other words, go back to the temple from which you have been for so long exiled. Go show yourself to the priest. Go back to the place of right worship. Okay, now, with all of that background in mind, I'm going to suggest a symbolic reading of this story, but a little different from that customary one I mentioned at the outset. I'm going to propose that the leper stands here. Now, for all of us listening in the year 2009, the leper stands here not so much for just the socially ostracized, but for those of us who have wandered away from right worship. Those of us who are no longer able or willing to worship the true God. As I've said to you many times before, the fathers of Vatican II wanted to intensify and deepen the liturgical experience of ordinary Catholics. Vatican II, in many ways, comes up out of that rich liturgical movement in the 1920s and 30s and 40s. Figures like Romano Guardini in Europe, Reynold Hillenbrand in this country, Virgil Michael, many others. What they were calling for was a revival of the liturgy to bring people in to experience more profoundly what was happening at the Mass. They wanted a rejuvenated Mass. And so... The Vatican II documents are filled with lessons on the centrality and indispensability of the liturgy, which they call famously the source and summit of the Christian life. But friends, what followed Vatican II? If I can put it this way, a mass exodus from the mass. A mass exodus from the Mass. Now, mind you, I want to be very clear about this. I'm not blaming the Council for this, just the contrary. If you had told the fathers and theologians at Vatican II that 50 years later, only 25% of American Catholics would be attending Mass and barely 10% of European Catholics, they would have been flabbergasted. That would have gone completely contrary to their own intentions vis-a-vis the Mass. What happened? And what do we do? Why are so many today, like the leper in the Gospel, away from the temple, away from right worship? Well, there are many ways we can answer that question. You can look at it sociologically, politically, culturally, theologically. What's so important about worship? To worship is to order the whole of one's life toward the living God. And in doing so, to become interiorly and exteriorly rightly ordered. Let me say that again. I think it's so central to our theology of the liturgy and worship. When you worship the true God, 
You have ordered all the powers in you toward the true God. You become the person you're meant to be. Mind, will, imagination, body, energies, passions, everything in you, order to God, now become rightly ordered to each other. More to it, when all of us worship the true God together, we become among ourselves rightly ordered. Mount Zion, true pole of the earth, there all the tribes go up. Well, that's true even now. We come together cohesively around the common praise of God. To worship is to signal to oneself what one's life is finally about. When you worship, you know what you're about, what you're for. Worship is nothing that God needs. God doesn't need our praise. But it's very much something that we need. St. Augustine said that we can uncover the nature of a society very easily by asking one simple question. What do the people in this society worship? Go back to his great, te- his great text, The City of God, where he examined the Roman culture of his own time. He said that Rome had fallen precisely because it worshipped the wrong gods, gods who were vain and petty and violent. And so the people became vain and petty and violent. We become like unto what we worship. Paul Tillich, the modern theologian, said, The key to understanding a person is to uncover his ultimate concern. Just another way of saying what he worships. What do you worship? If it's not the living God, you've wandered into a land of exile. You have become, in fact, unclean. I'm going to press that connection now between the leprosy of the man in the gospel and the uncleanness of those who stay away from the worship of the true God. We become disordered if we worship pleasure, money, power, honor, the things held up by the culture. You say, well, the Mass is is tedious, it's boring. It doesn't speak to me, that's why I stay away from it. So what? The Mass is not meant to entertain you. It's meant to order you. It's meant to straighten you out. It's meant to cleanse and purify you. The Mass is the place where Jesus, even now, continues to gather the tribes around him. The Mass is the place where even now the temple is cleansed. The Mass is the place where we become rightly ordered in the presence of God. Keep that in mind, friends, as you meditate upon this man who knelt before the Lord and asked to be cleansed. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. 